can't have beans or something, but do something similar. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> Is this seen... lesson 10? It's 11, I 11, think. Lesson 11. As I said earlier, I could be wrong. Keeping cans of beans around might be just as good as having a throwing knife. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh, the buttons don't look... They don't actually look like buttons on that keyboard. <laughs> they look so flat. I mean, like, what I'm saying is it's, like, so close to the... Um, to the level, yeah. to the level thing. It's got the touch bar on it, so the top changes, and I think it's pretty cool. Oh, man. I like it. I want one. Yeah. Of course, we'll put a little thin case on it. Yeah. I've been wanting a MacBook Pro for a while. <laughs> it's a good product. I just, I've just started saving for it. <laughs> I expect getting it until like I'm 17. <laughs> it's gonna take a while. Maybe 18 if I'm lucky. Late 17. It's got a lower cost of ownership than, than the PC because it, it lasts so long. Made out of aircraft grade aluminum, all that kind of good stuff. So it's a good buy. Well, the newer ones seem to last longer than the older ones. I had one, I guess maybe it lasted three or four years, but. Yeah, but even in three or four years, it probably still works. It's just slow. It was very slow, and the battery was shot. We have a the battery isn't really sealed. That seems to be the biggest weakness, right? So that you gotta... You're not using it anymore? No, no, no. The one I've got now is working great. The one that you gave me as a replacement. The old one that I had was the issue. Not a big 15-inch. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Whatever the one... No, you got me, I think, the big 15-inch. Like, two years ago. Okay. But before that, there was one that I had that was... Christine was disappointed that I had recommended a Mac, and at that time she went out and got literally a Mac, and it was the plastic white one, mm. and that didn't really do as well, and quickly was hey guys. heavy and not hey. uh, not lasting. Was the first one as long. Yeah. After that, that the MacBook be. Pro has done well. Our answer, yeah. yeah. Hello, Ben. Yeah. Well, every now and again, there's a dud. You just gotta buy around it. Yeah, or they're you know they're getting they better as they go, kind of thing. You know. So. Yeah, I think that that's been the true with the Macs, the MacBooks. They have definitely yeah. gotten better as they yeah. go. Well, then they move from the MacBook to the MacBook Air to the MacBook Pro. Greg, number two. Nice. Hey, thanks very much. Thank you. See you. You cut monkey, you. Yeah. Just can't get away from it, can you? Yeah. I'm excited. Good to see you. What were you doing uptown today? Oh, uh, I was reading. So, it's like one of those Both crazy food? stories. I just like reached out to this guy. I don't know. The absolute tippity top of everything digital at Bank of America. Wow. Yeah, just like randomly was like, hey, I want to get coffee with you. Good to see you, man. That's really cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. so cool. Taking all my shares. That's right. Like, yeah. You always know, get your chicken, man. Come on. Like massive. So you know what we should pull? We should move you guys into chairs. So if the Martins are coming. A quarter? Because they can afford a The Martins are coming. It's Micah's birthday. Yeah, it was. So they'll be listening really online. Cool. I, I was shocked that he. We well, just had like a mutual acquaintance that built the yeah, website. I got a notification. I was like, that's very cool. That's a great idea. Yeah. Well, hey, you never know when you might need that, as you found out. <laughs> he gave me his card. And hey, said, this is it. He was like, no, hey, if I hear of anything, you know what? That's right. That's key, right? You never 
ask for a job. Right. I didn't bring that up for the same point. No, no, that's not what you're looking for. Right. But that was the that was the um, how to uh, to undo your well before you. Yeah. He yeah. recommended it's all about the follow up. Yeah. I'm terrible at that. But like he would uh, was it him or was it um, and it was um, oh, goodness uh, the uh, Rabbi Lappin's book on Thou Shalt Prosper. Yeah. And didn't he carry around like no index cards to write down information as he get to know people? So yeah. then you could send a guy like, you know, his kid likes baseball, send his kid a baseball on his birthday, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, last time we were here, we were praying for you, and that's done. With Brett. So, we're still praying for us, but the baby's doing well. Had a heartbeat test today, and everything is still healthy. Brett Williams. So, and she looks good. I don't know. She does. She looks very good. Okay. She could feel a little bit better. Yeah, well, yeah. Said I think that the, the yeah. hormones are kind of peaking at this point. The body is kind of feeling it. So hopefully she can work through this. She asked Stephanie a few questions about that, and she had some ideas. So hopefully some of them work. Good. But the cool part is we're like a week and a half away from the end of the first trimester, which is a big deal. So... Look very much forward to seeing what the rest of pregnancy is like. We've only seen this this movie, so. That's right. All right, let's get this off. Okay. May it be your will, I don't my God, that a mishap not come out through us. And may we not stumble in a matter of law and cause our colleagues to rejoice over us. And may we not say regarding something which is tamay that is tahor, and not regarding something which is tahor that is tamay. May our colleagues not stumble in a matter of law, and we rejoice over them. For Adam I grants wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Unveil my eyes, and I perceive that we may we may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. Mm-hmm. That's what he was just asked to open his eyes. Yeah, Otherwise. open our eyes. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> yeah. It could be a quiet class. Yeah, it could be. Um, so yeah, we took a look this week at the uh, the Holy Spirit, um, and I hope that this challenged a little bit of your understandings of the Holy Spirit from your background, and uh, if you have a Christian background, and if you don't, uh, hopefully it was enlightening and interesting. I thought. Um, I thought it was intriguing just see the point of emphasis is so different in the Holy Spirit um, in Judaism and then also in the Gospels. It's not to say that the Holy Spirit doesn't look similar to what I think a lot of Christian theology shows, but it's just a different focus. You know, Christianity, I think, is really aimed almost at this superconscious. You know, you've got this little piece of God inside of you telling you what's right or wrong and, you know, occasionally whispers in your ear, gives you... You know, that gut feeling that this is not a good idea. And that's basically kind of the, the gist of a lot of it, um, unless you're in a really charismatic group, in which case it's all about speaking in tongues or whatever. But the funny thing is, if you look at, I felt like, looking at the Gospels and then also looking at, um, I did a little study on the side and some of the Tanakh and then also looked at some of Judaism had to say, and it definitely is a little bit different of a focus. Not to say it doesn't do those things, but it definitely seems, the Holy Spirit's role seems to be centralized somewhere else so um but i thought one of the first things i wanted to tackle just kind of go in order from what we had talked about in the in the study hopefully you did your homework um what did you guys notice regards to timing what was interesting about how um the whole timing thing goes there's there's, because there's basically a contradiction in the gospels or so it seems it's not really but so it seems any thoughts that yeshua is giving the holy spirit when he says later i'll give you the holy spirit Right, exactly. So you've got this weird timing deal where it sure seems like it's already there. And we, we showed even a couple of places. I mean, we've got... Well, it's, it's obvious. The Spirit is working in the lives of Elizabeth and Zechariah. 
and all of that. Joseph. Yeah, long before. Well, I mean, David. David, right, yeah, yeah. The one reference where where Yeshua, and that's what was cool. If you ever want to know, does the Bible say the Bible is divinely inspired? The answer is yes. Not only do we have that verse in Timothy from Paul, but Yeshua says specifically about David that he quotes from the Psalms and says, David, in the Spirit, says X. So, um, yeah, exactly. So so Yeshua is giving backing. I mean, you know, I, I think... Any, any a number of pastors certainly would agree with that, right? That, that David has the Holy Spirit. So clearly he's working. Um, so what's the difference then? Why does it seem like he's <coughs> there doing stuff, but then he's coming later? Any thoughts? I was feeling like maybe there is an event of the Holy Spirit, and maybe he's saying, you know... a give you the Holy Spirit now, but there's also an event coming that's mm. about the Holy Spirit. So maybe it's not saying, well, then again, I guess it does sort of say that you don't have him now and we'll have him later. So, so maybe that doesn't quite work. I don't yeah, think. Apparently there's, at least it appeared to me that there was the Spirit if, if the Spirit is the Spirit of God and God is omnipresent, well, then the Spirit has to be here already. Okay. But there seemed to be another, I don't know what you call it, an outpouring, an event or something, and that would be consistent with the parallel back to the mountain, mm-hmm. right? So we've right. got something that's going to happen that may move the people or whatever. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of speaking in tongues. Right. In, in any way, you know, prior to to this, other than the mounting, I didn't read any of the prophets where you know somebody's going off in you know in Filipino when he's really an Italian guy. Or Although there's an allusion there in the Book of Psalms to Joseph, he says, "I understood a language I never knew." Right. So there does seem to be some element to that. But I think that you're, I mean, I think you're on the right the right path here. I think the idea. Oh, go ahead, <clears throat> yes, sir. Um, I was going to say, could it have something to do with scale? Because um, it seems to me just remembering instances of, you know, the spirit filling someone like like uh, Pinchas or mm-hmm. you know David, yeah. it seems singular. Whereas this is obviously a lot of people. I think that's exactly I think where we want to go. And there's an interesting um, in looking at uh, some of the Talmud references uh, that around the Holy Spirit, oftentimes translated divine presence or divine spirit, in the uh, there was one that stood out to me that kind of tied in with some of the timing here. And this was in um, Yoma 9b. I thought this was just interesting. said that, uh, as it has been taught in a Bahraisa, I think that's right. Um, when, when the, okay, yeah, thank you. When the, late, uh, the, the last prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, died at the beginning of the Second Temple era, the divine spirit was withdrawn from the Jewish people. But even so, they would hear the echo of a heavenly voice. Mm-hmm. The idea being there's a, there's a timing marker that, oddly enough, seems to be the second temple, but the weird part is it's not the destruction of the first temple, it's the building of the second temple, which is kind of weird. It's definitely an odd timing marker, I think, in Judaism, but they're saying that the spirit's role changes. Hmm. And if you look at other parts of the Talmud, they definitely get to that same point. Yes, sir? Well, in, in, in the, uh, there's only a few references in the Tanakh at all. And one was, was found in Isaiah 63, where it talks about the, the people, Israel, grieved the Holy Spirit and in, in their 
in their enmity towards God and not going into the land. Mm-hmm. And you remember the days of old of Moses, then it says, uh, <clears throat> then it says, he remembered the days of old of Moses' people. Where is he who brought them out of the sea and the shepherd of the flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? And that that is a reference to um, Exodus 31, where Moses is on the mountain <clears throat> and God is going to only... You know, Moses is pleading, and, and, and God says, I'll, you know, I'll put my angel, right. you know, and he'll, and he says, if you won't go with yeah, us, we you don't know, want you, yeah, if you, if you won't go with us, and he goes, okay, I'll put my angel. And so there was a presence mm-hmm. that led them to the land. That presence mm-hmm. was not, not exactly the same as what they had had previously. Right. In other words, there was something different. Right. God was present with them. God was overseeing them but something changed from the mountain to the land where his presence was a special protecting presence and it seems in 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 the talmud and what the reference you gave just gave backs that up where the presence has something to do with a with a location or a uh or a or a time it's a time yeah um but it's it's not just god's god's Presence in the world, right. omnipresence, but there's something about presence yeah, and, specificity. And, and Yeshua makes this reference as if he can't come if I'm here. Right. So there's like a either or there's a the, the, there's a locus that's extremely important mm, right. about, with regard to the right. Holy Spirit that's maybe different from what we're reading about David. Well, and also I think that going back to what we're talking about here, we're talking about scale and and. Um, an event, I really think that that's the other issue dealing with. Clearly, while Yeshua is present, the Holy Spirit is active. I mean, you have references. In fact, ironically enough, Yeshua is conceived with the you know the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not so much that I think that they can't be in the same place, but it definitely think it's in terms of their actions, right? So like the Holy Spirit at one point is active on a much wider scale in a more visible way. Then he's not for whatever reason. What's interesting is if you go back to Moses, speaking of Moses, go back to Moses. And he has this interesting event, and you probably I remember this from our Torah portions, where he's exhausted, he can't deal with all the people, and God says, round up 70 of the best guys, bring them here, and to I'll... some of your spirit. And yeah, you, you, you put your hands on them, I'll, I'll give them my pa- your, the same power given you, right? So then there's these two guys, Nadad and Abad. Yeah, yeah, the end of their names sounded very familiar. Um, <laughs> they stay similar. in the camp. They stay in the camp. And they start prophesying in the middle of the camp when the spirit falls on the other guys. And Joshua comes up and he's like, hey, this is, they were supposed to be here. They're not here. Let me go arrest them. And Moses is like, no, I would, all, all the people would prophesy. Paul, which, Paul, which Paul quotes that same, right. same thing. Paul gives the same expression. So I think what we're really dealing with here is much more an issue of scale. When you see, um, and we're going to get into Acts and, and, and later, so I don't really want to steal too much thunder from there, but... Did you guys get a chance to see Joel chapter 2? Yeah. 2, 28, 29. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so in that case, you know, 28, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy, and old men will dream dreams, and young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns, and smoke. So, so that is a scale kind of seems to have a scale right. sort of um, you know connotation to it the, the question in my mind on that is the timing because this 
clearly seems, this clearly seems to be a prophecy specifically focused on the end mm-hmm. days. The very end. Um, but Peter but, definitely thinks it's happening. And, right, and but, Peter but, clips it. He doesn't quote the whole thing. Right. He, he, he just part of it. Right, so it's one of these kind that. of near and far yeah. fulfillments, I think. So. Well, and then going back to Dad's point earlier, you have the Holy Spirit seems to be acting in power in in and around the mountain. Then, when they get to the land, somehow something has changed because they're lamenting that in Isaiah. But but then later, when they put in this first temple, the Talmud references that around the first temple experiences is off the charts again. I mean, random Levites who work there can look at the person and say. They like basically look into your soul and tell you what God has planned for you. You know that kind yeah. of thing, and then all of a sudden, not when the first temple ends, but when the second temple is built, which is an odd timing marker in my mind, that changes again. So it's interesting that at the end of the second temple era, when Yeshua comes and then Yeshua leaves, that's all of a sudden at the time when the Holy Spirit seems to come on the masses, a larger scale number of people. Well, to your point, Rick, of it changed from the mountain to the land. Well, Paul uses that and says that the rock went with them. Mm-hmm. And Yeshua was the rock. So it's almost like we've got the whole spirit, but now we've got him. You're not going to have them both. And almost exactly the opposite now. You've got him. When he goes, you get you get the spirit. To me, to me it, it seems like the pattern is... Whenever there is a, whenever Hashem has a, whenever Hashem, there, whenever there's a national visitation of Hashem, um, it is at that time or shortly thereafter that you see some outpouring. this outpouring of the of the Spirit, mm. right? So, mm. but it's it's seen. So I so you know the mountain clearly is a national mm-hmm. visitation of. God to his people, followed by, you know, all of these things. I would argue first temple. the first temple yeah. is another kind of national visitation, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, God, you know, yeah. God is now dwelling in this structure in our midst, right? Um, and then I would argue that Yeshua is another national visitation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of the Mashiach, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that to me seems to be the pattern. I could be wrong, but well, Paul specifically calls the Spirit the Spirit of Messiah, right? As one of the same. Well, the sages call it, the sages even in the so, later writings. So we see a we see this correlation. Um, <clears throat> it's it's not to get too metaphysical, but it's an emanation of God. Mm-hmm. God is. God emanates in the whole world all the time. Yes. He is here. He's everywhere. But there's specific emanation that is either present in bodily form, you know, the the angel before Abraham, or in particular Messiah himself, mm-hmm. or I mean, there's not not to limit God, but or this as we describe it, as it's described in in the scriptures, this Holy Spirit as a not simply as a as a as a uh, uh, indwelling um, inspiration, but as something more. Right. Yes, it's something, and, and particularly in a powerful way. And Greg, I'm sorry, I lost you for a second. Do you have another? You know, I uh, I was kind of wondering about some of the timing markers and wondering 
like which direction it sort of goes like if it's because you know if you look at like Mesalat Yasharim and some of the other Jewish writings it seems like there's a certain level of preparation that a person sort of needs to undergo before they can kind of be a recipient of the Holy Spirit and so like when you see sort of like specific people and like you know because it's like there's like always a, a counted number of people it's not like the Holy Spirit comes and it's like everybody present there's a, it's usually either a, a finite number of people or it's someone specific mm-hmm. and so I was kind of wondering if that had more to do with the timing than than other things was well, that there were basically vessels that were ready mm-hmm. at that point and that happened to coincide with the mountain it happened to coincide with the first temple. I, I don't know. I just... No, I think in this case, actually, you're, you're on the right track, but it's not exactly. I think the idea here is slightly different. The, the point that I think we're talking about at the mountain, first temple, and then here, post Yeshua, is actually that the specific persons give way to the masses. What's unusual is it's not just specific persons. We see the Spirit, as we're talking about, Yeshua's here, and he's saying the Spirit's coming. But then he's ta- acting like the Spirit's already here. There's multiple references to the Spirit, which doesn't make sense. It seems to be a contradiction. But if you look at it, to your point, it's the specific persons. It's the super righteous people, or it's an inspiration in the moment. You know, Elizabeth, in that moment, the Spirit comes, she prophesies. Zechariah gets the Spirit, he prophesies. It doesn't come and go. You know, you've got Simeon, who's the older guy in the temple. Yeshua's here on earth, so it's not a location thing in that sense. But he's getting this inspiration of the Spirit to go into the temple, right? So you've got the idea that the Holy Spirit is definitely capable of work. Well, I say capable is the wrong word, but he does work in individuals uh, on an ongoing basis. Even while Messiah is here. While Messiah is here all the time, always. But those people are the elite. In fact, if you look at the Talmud, one of the things they reference is that there's this idea that judges, they receive the Spirit for whatever task they had to do in that moment. They had an act to do. They mentioned King Saul. You know, King Saul has one of the comments, commentators in the, uh, uh, one of the sages commentators in the Art Scroll version of the pro, uh, Prophets, going back to, I think this one is from Kings or Chronicles. Anyway, he's looking at, he's looking at Saul, and Saul gets all angry at this beginning of his kingship. So there's the, um, this enemy king has come in and like, you know, said, hey, no one can come. I've, I've studied siege to the city. And tomorrow at this time, I'm going to pluck out every guy's right eye. Or if they have to do that, or I'll slaughter them all. You know, basically is his point. Saul is infuriated by this, but it talks about that the spirit came upon him. So the sages look at this, and they see that, like, his anger and his, like, intensity was actually caused by the spirit. Because it's, it's almost like it's, a, it's an infusion for a task, or it's an infusion for a leader. Then this is, I think, one reason why when you see um, David and Saul... The Holy Spirit kind of coming and going, I think that's true, could be true anyway, but especially for them, because if you no longer were that capable person, like to your point, Miss Yasharim, if you're no longer at that top level, you're not worthy of it anymore. And I think that that's kind of what's going on. Now, that's not to say that we don't still have a certain, maybe a similar degree of that now, or, or post-Yeshua, but I think it's just, it's, it's almost like there's like a leniency. It's not just the top level. The lower level guys are getting it too. I mean, in, in Jewish uh, thinking, but that was uh, point. It, the the con- the concept of Ruach Hakodesh is generally viewed as a level of in, a level of inspiration mm-hmm. that that you know that you can a level of uh, inspiration a level of um, connection connection. Um, 
uh, a, a level of access to Hashem that you can attain through, you know, and, and right. that's that's kind of the idea of the Zadik, you know, as he draws closer and closer and closer to Hashem, you know, Judaism says his Ruach HaKodesh is great, right? right? His level of Ruach HaKodesh is great. So it's, it's more of a, you know, Christianity definitely views the Holy Spirit as an entity that's kind of separate, right? Whereas, right. at least in a lot of Jewish thought, it's more of a, it's more the idea of Ruach HaKodesh is a way to describe a level of divine inspiration or connectedness right. that one has. Well, yeah, that, what is, what, what John 15 seems to point to something different. Not to negate that, that, that ongoing, but John 15 seems to support oh. there's something additional coming right. that we hadn't seen except possibly at the mountains or after the mountains after uh, Exodus 31 and the lands and then it acts 2 and then acts 2 yeah right. so we say that this is something it's that's not simply a connection but there's right. some something and that that is that a role that's why I keep going back to emanation a a manifestation of god that is not simply a matter of inspiration right. Or, right. or individual yeah. participation. Right, right. Well, and it definitely seems to be in a larger group. And I think this, to your point, talking about like a connection to God, I think it's a good way to transition here to what does the Holy Spirit do? So as we were kind of looking at the references here, um, uh, looking at several places in the Gospels, what was like, if you had to list the number one thing the Holy Spirit seems to do in the Gospels, what would that be? Yes, sir. Connect. Connect, okay. Convict. Convict, all right. Declare. Declare. I like all those words. I actually like declare the best. And the reason why is because if you look throughout the Gospels, I feel like the thing that you keep seeing over and over again has to do with, like, speaking or receiving truth. You know, there's this kind con- like he's like, Yeshua tells them, don't worry about what you're going to speak when you go before the kings and the governors, for you will be you speaking, but the Spirit will speak through you. You see all these references to, like, Elizabeth and Zechariah that seem to be like this momentary spirit comes upon them and they speak. If you go back to the Tanakh, you see this over and over and over again. Saul gets overwhelmed with the spirit. He starts prophesying. You know, even when, you know, David's off in hiding, so they send his men out there. Saul sends his men out there. They start prophesying. You know, Saul comes after them too. He starts prophesying. But it's about, the, it does definitely seem to be a reference to speaking somehow or, or getting that message from God. You know, Yeshua says, I will send the Spirit, and He will remind you of all the things that I've taught you. You know, so yes, convict, and yes, connect. That's, that's true too, and I think that that's um, maybe that's a good summary word for all of it. But thinking about like the number one action, I feel like it really has to do with um, what we would just say is the word prophecy. I, I don't disagree at all. Okay. Um, but as I read these references, I also try and apply it in my own life. Oh, right. And. Prophecy seems to be a little of short supply for me. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I was probably more unrighteous than most of you before he grabbed a hold of me. And in that regard, that's probably the biggest difference that people saw in my life. Hmm. I now not only didn't want to do wrong, but I was acutely aware of what was wrong. And it didn't come through massive study of the Bible. It was a conviction within that, no, 
I not only know that's wrong, I not only should not do that, but oddly enough, I don't want to do that any longer. And I I think that's a a pretty big part of at least the spirit's role nowadays. Maybe as as, closer to the end of Mr. Trump's presidency, we may (laughs) see more prophecy, but right now, that's that's where I'm I'm seeing it. And, And I think that's borne out. Right, no, and I think that in terms of that interaction, I'm trying to find the reference now and I can't find it, but there's a commenta- uh, commentary on that Isaiah 63.11 because he's in his spirit within them. And um, Arbonnell's point in that, and he's looking at this verse, one of the things that he references is it's a lament by the people of Israel, not because they're missing God's presence necessarily, that's part of it, but they're almost complaining. They're like, and his point is, if we had your spirit in us, we wouldn't be sinning like this. We would be different. We would have acted like we did in the wilderness mm. because that was actually changing who we were. And if you look at the if you look at the use of the spirit in both the commentary, sages commentary, and also in the Talmud, um, while prophecy, I think, is definitely the focus, and that's why I wanted to kind of like hit on that because I think that that's a major part of its expression of the Holy Spirit. How you can see that the Holy Spirit is here. The secondary role, as I talked about earlier, has to deal with. Um, giving you the capabilities for a task or a role, well, part of that task or role can be a whole slew of things. You know, Radak goes on to talk about David gets it so that he has courage to fight the bear and the lion. Well, that's not necessarily how I would see, like, the Holy Spirit came upon him and now he's not afraid. But that's exactly how you would describe it. You would say, you know, the Holy Spirit came into me and all of a sudden I wasn't that same guy anymore. And that definitely is, there's an, there's an imagery there, or there's a concept, I think there's an a- action of the Holy Spirit that plays into that. And maybe that is what we see more commonly today, mm-hmm. um, which I almost feel like is, in some ways, an indictment of us, quite frankly. I think that the lack of prophecy, the lack of these visible signs, sure. is because this generation isn't worthy of those. But that, that's not to say that the Holy Spirit isn't still doing them, but it's, it's on a smaller scale, almost like we saw before. Yes, sir. Are you going to go to John 15 for cat, for his casts? Um, yes, that was... But yeah, you go ahead. Well, in, uh, this is John 16. This, uh, no, it is John. Yeah, John 16. It says, I tell you the truth. If I don't go away, the helper won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin. He'll consi- convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then he goes on to say he's the spirit of truth. He's going he's gonna to guide you in all things. And that convict the world of sin and righteousness is... Kind of what I'm going to with with regard to Isaiah 63:11 as well. Mm-hmm. It's that he guarded them from the mountain to the land, and in this in the same in the same way. So it's almost like uh, if you can imagine uh, all the nations of the world watching Israel go to the land. That's like there's there's fear, and we know this. There's fear. Oh no, these people. God is with them, mm-hmm. and. This is what seems to have happened from Acts 2 on to the yeah. present day. Mm-hmm. Nothing's changed since Acts 2. Acts 2 to the present day. Anywhere the people of God go, people hate them. <laughs> well, that's true. In ways that are inexplicable. That's definitely true. It doesn't matter if they're hypocrites or not. They hate them. And it's, it's like I said, it's inexplicable. It's because they can... It's because he follows, he's a, it's the manifestation of God himself following them around and almost like, you know, pointing out, see, 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 and, and the, the world doesn't understand it. They just don't know, they, know, they just know they don't like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On the reverse side, 
The same thing is true for the righteous, where they look and they go, we have that thing in common. Can't explain it, right? We, we can almost identify each other without knowing. Yeah, something. That's not, that's not the kind of concept of prophecy. That's more than that. So right. it's, like, it's almost like a... It's almost like a, it's a uh, marker. Yeah, but it's almost, it's almost like you're, we're, we're swimming around in it. You know, everywhere we go, we're swimming around in it. It's all around us, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas before, it was only in us. Mm. The righteous only had the Spirit of God in them for a specific task. This is something more. It's like a, uh, it's like a surrounding bubble. Which, again, goes back, I think, to uh, Arbanel, I think, is really getting at that point to what we're talking about the wilderness walk, which is interesting because we see the parallel between the mountain and Acts 2. So it's almost like there's this momentary event where the people of God experience God in a different way. So you have Yeshua's presence on earth, you have the mountain. Then you have this expression of that spirit in an obvious level that people can see. And then there seems to be this ongoing infusion, so to speak, after that. I do think, though, that when you look at the apostolic writings, when Yeshua's focus on the Spirit, on a lot of his actions, does seem to focus on, on more of a prophetic element. And I, um, and I, like I said earlier, I think, that that's, I think that's an indictment of us today because I think the Spirit is intended to do that. I think that's a big part of his role. And if we're not seeing that now, I think that's a problem. Because if, um, if, you, if you look at Judaism's perception of it, especially in the Talmud, Almost all the references to the Ruch Kodesh are some level of prophecy. There's only, a, you know, very few references uh, in Judaism beyond that, and most of them in relation to the judges or the kings and for a specific purpose and task. Most of them are a prophetic moment. Well, from the charismatic and Pentecostal view, that's certainly what they see, mm. and, and, and therefore come to the conclusion that if, if you're not prophesying, then there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. Right. No, not that that's... A wrong statement, but perhaps the degree. <laughs> Maybe this, yeah, right. Well, we may just need to define prophecy. Yeah, in that. Exactly. Oh, yeah, true. Well, because I had a question about that. I, I guess I had been under the impression that Judaism sort of viewed prophecy as like having stopped, and mm. it is is not actually possible right now. Is that what you call prophecy? Yeah, I think that there's some degree okay. of that true. I guess what I'm saying though is that like, excuse me. So obviously Judaism and us will be disagree a little bit on some of the timing of that because of the fact that we're looking in, into Acts and the epistles and we're seeing prophetic elements here. Right, right. Now, prophecy, because you have to remember, here's an important thing to keep in mind. Ruach HaKodesh is actually a term of prophecy. It's not just simply the Holy Spirit as we would characterize it. And it's considered the lowest level of prophecy. So when you look at, Rabbi Gapel has a really great, really short walkthrough in, in the middle of his, or towards the end of his first lesson in the book of Joshua, where he just rattles through like all six levels real fast. Um, I can't remember how many levels there are. Probably seven. That seems more appropriate. Um, <laughs> anyway, the uh, the top level is Moses. So Moses speaks with God face to face. That's like unprecedented. Nobody else does that. You know, the next level below that is more kind of like you see with like the elite major prophets. You know, they've got these visions. You know, they've got they hear God speak in different ways or whatever else. But it's not really that intimate one-to-one experience you know lower level is um the Ruach HaKodesh if I remember correctly Rabbi Gimpel's description of this is almost more kind of like a divine inspiration it's not necessarily that you're getting like a specific word of God God said this but almost kind of like I feel like God's saying this you know it's kind of like and I would say that there's a certain degree of that today 
I think the difference is in degree. I think that when you look in the... Well, in, in Christianese, people would say, I feel like the Lord is leading me right. to do this. And or, I think that that's, or, a, or, I think or, that's like a low-level version of what we're talking well, about. Or, or, or it can be. But could that the, be Lord, the Lord has taught Yeah, I think it can be. Right. right. Absolutely. <clears throat> of course, back in the days where Rashi and Rambam and Ramban and so forth, these guys, you, you, you got people lining up at the door. You know, the Babasali, even if, you know, over here, I still got your book, by the way. Um, you got people lining up, waiting to, as it were, get a word of prophecy yeah. right. on a matter. A word, so, of, a word of knowledge. Right, which yeah. which certainly seems to be just a little bit more than, I got this impression that I yeah. shouldn't marry this one or I but, should take but this But that job. goes back to the previous comments. Those those are the Zadikim, right? Correct. And so they, they're operating, higher. their level of connectedness yeah. and closeness and therefore um, access to you know insight from Hashem is on a different level. At least exactly. that's the way Judaism... And it does seem almost like that. there is a level of degrees. So if you've got, um, I mean, like as an example, uh, if you've got a situation now where someone has that, I feel like God's telling me this... <clears throat> I think a lot of times it's difficult to tell. I think a lot of times even for the person it's difficult to tell. I don't. I would say that like at best that's like your lowest level possible of divine inspiration. So if like, but then if I think I think to your point, the more righteous men and women, there's that greater level of certainty, that greater level of clarity, that greater level of understanding. This is definitely from God. I hear that voice. I recognize that voice. I know what He's saying. I have a more clarity as to what He's trying to get at. I don't just have this feeling like. There's something about this person that's important. It's more like this person's important because of this. You know, which, which there's definitely a stronger connection in John, where he said, "You know, my sheep know my voice." Right. But I think, and, and to this point though, I think when we're describing the Holy Spirit, I think when we're looking at Acts and we're looking at what Yeshua seems to be describing, he seems to be saying that the general experience of the Holy Spirit is going to be at a broader level than has pretty much ever been in history now. At the same time, I think as well, and maybe this is just based off of anecdotal evidence, but it seems to me that the levels of Holy Spirit engagement are still somewhat in effect. So everyone's getting a taste. Every one of the people of God's getting a taste. But that degree of Holy Spirit experience seems to vary. So you have some people, like I would put, like you, you could put Paul in that category. So Paul seems to have like this huge, you know, deep abiding connection to God. Third heaven. Really amazing, right? But then you got, um, as an example, you have, uh, you might have cases where the Holy Spirit comes upon Cornelius's people, you know, and they have a moment of that, but it peters out. It seems to, and then they kind of get back no, to normal no, life. No pun intended. Yeah, I know, right? But they get, <laughs> but they get the, they they still have the Holy Spirit in them, working through them, convicting them, whatever. But that level was short lived. Whereas, like with with someone like Paul, who's really he's a he's a in Hebrew we call him a mashu mashu. It's really something, you know. He's somebody where his his level of connection to God is ongoing because of his righteousness. So I think there's I think it's a little bit of both. The difference is the reason why I think Yeshua's Yeshua's point is he's saying like he's living water reference, right? You know, come to me, I'll give you living water. You'll never thirst again. What's he referencing? It's says he's referencing the Holy Spirit. Well. I think that's saying there's going to be an experience of God with you always. I think we can all describe that. We felt that. We know that. And it's different. And for those of you who may have experienced God at a later stage in life, you can specifically point to the difference. Oh, yeah. 
Um, but the other thing I just want to, oh, we're going through this. I, I, I think this is great. The, the Holy Spirit definitely has some interesting roles. Did anyone read John 6.63? He gives life. He does. I like to see, I just want to hear the whole verse because there's a, there's, I, there's a cool tie in here. Thank you. It's a bow tie. <laughs> it's a very cool looking bow tie. Thank you. But yes, you're right. He gives life. <clears throat> but why does he give life? 663 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit, lowercase, and are life. So I think that the spirit lowercase there might actually be a, be a mistranslation. I think capital is very appropriate. There's a really cool reference. Okay, so Isaiah 63.10. Can someone look up that one? The breath Lord has it. Go ahead. <clears throat> but his phone is broken, so he can't read but, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned himself to become their enemy. He fought against them. So the grieve the Holy Spirit phrase there. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit, right? Very clear. Talking about the Holy Spirit. Interestingly enough, um, some of the commentators, uh, Targum goes off on this and Radak, they kind of both agree on this point. They say that the word grieve his Holy Spirit, that phrase, is actually in reference to his commandments. Even Ezra then goes so far as to say that it's actually referencing his messengers like Moses. In the, in the commentary commentary from the sages on the Holy Spirit, there's at least this one, I think one other one, where they, the idea of the Torah and the Holy Spirit not just being complementary, but being the same thing is there. So back to John 6.63, Yeshua is saying, my words are spirit and are life. His point is that like, the, the Holy Spirit is like infusing them. I mean, it's like, it's like John 1, right? So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, Yeshua is the Word, but, but Yeshua is God, so God is the Word. The Torah, Hashem, is the Torah. Oh, the Torah is 11. That's this right. This is your life. This is your life. Right. Well, or, uh, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, I will put my spirit, capital S, mm -hmm. within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So, here in Ezekiel 36, right. the, the prophecy is that God is going to give us a new heart, put his spirit in us, so that we will keep his ordinances right. and walk in his statutes. Exactly. And this is the first place that I found in the, in the Tanakh the new where you have this concept of walking in the Spirit. Right. What does that mean? It means right. obedience to the commandments. Right. Exactly. So you see that idea that the Spirit is in you, the Spirit's going to change you. Uh, in commenting on Saul, again, one of the commentators, that, that Samuel looks at King Saul and essentially says that, that he's going to be transformed. Hmm. Now that's for a role. And as we see with Saul, the spirit leaves because he's not fulfilling the role. He gets it taken away from him. But in this case, we're talking about a difference. It's not a role-based thing for us. It's a role-based thing for him. He's going to step in and he's going to change us. This goes back again to that other reference we've gotten earlier from Arbonnell. He's talking about this idea that like the people are complaining. Yes, we sinned, but we didn't have your help basically is the point. And that's not a legitimate complaint. But the point, though, is to say that 
that like they recognize that sages are recognizing that the Holy Spirit has the ability to move in you in a way that changes what you do and it can and can and can make it easier so to speak to fulfill the mitzvot and I didn't understand I didn't really appreciate this until much 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 <laughs> later in my walk with Hashem but um, just it's kind of a, a little bit of a I guess maybe a personal testimony here when I came to the Lord or he came to me however that works out in your theology um, you know I was totally secular totally you know didn't grow up in really any religious affiliation of anything was basically just a good old fashioned heathen right and very, knew very little about scripture or anything um, but I remember um, after I came to faith, I remember lying in bed at night, like just days, weeks, you know, after this, literally physically shaking. And my wife will attest to this. She asked me, "Are what? You know, are you okay?" And I and I said, "I I'm not sure what's happening, but I feel like God is." literally changing me um, and it manifested and I'm literally just lying in bed like just like 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 you would if you just walked up on me you would think I was like had a fever or whatever and Whoa, I'm cool you know and but I, but I but I had this <laughs> this kind of acute sense sense that it was God literally doing I think I think my wife would say I used the word heart surgery mm-hmm and it wasn't until much later in my studies that I, and this is why this is one of my favorite passages to this day, because I, I personally can relate to that just in my own experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, anyway, it, it, but it was definitely, from my perspective, it was definitely the Spirit of God working in me to the point where I physically mm-hmm. could, like, knew something was changing. It was just, it was, yeah, it's very cool. So That's good. It's very cool. And I think that if you see in the, in the, in the Tanakh, you see that level of transformation in different expressions for individuals. And Yeshua's point, I think, is that he's talking about that at a mass scale. Mm-hmm. You know, individuals, you've got Samson. Samson has this superpower strength and it's clear. It's strictly from the Holy Spirit. In fact, um, you know, I kind of, in my own mind, I, I thought a few times how funny it'd be if he's, it turns out, you know, Samson's a scrawny little dude, you know, because it wasn't actually muscle. It was just supernatural power, you know, because God doesn't need muscle to do those things. But, you know, you see that, um... Well, that's certainly how it was with David. Right. We see, like, you, you get these different references to people being able to do things that are transcendent and not just physical, but also spiritual. But then, um, in Yeshua's description of the spirit, uh, there definitely is this component and I think that's why that's prophesied in in Ezekiel I think that's the connection that Peter was trying to make in Joel when he references that in Acts 2 and it's also I think the some of the idea behind Zechariah so I'll pour out my spirit upon them well what happens when you pour out the spirit upon them they look upon the one whom they've pierced they mourn from his like one mourns from an only son they get it 
You know, there's the revelation of God, but there's also a transformation on the inside. It's both. And I think that the Holy Spirit's actions there are, are doing those things. Yes, sir. Maybe it's like, maybe it's like uh, the difference between a cloudy day and a sunny day. Yeah. You know, you know it's like prior to Acts 2, you know, it's like a cloudy day. And some people experience a lot of light if they were in the right place, whereas some people in buildings or under shade trees didn't experience as much light. Whereas when it's a sunny day, some people experience lots of light and some people experience less light, but everybody's getting something. That's a really good idea. I think it's an excellent way of looking at that. I think that's almost exactly what's happening. I mean, to go back to the idea of like some people getting specific things, I thought this is an interesting reference. Um, Sanhedrin 69b, uh, talking about Abraham's wife, Sarah, says, and Rob Yitzhak says, Yiska is Sarah. So there's this weird little reference here to Yiska, and you're like, he's the father of, so, of some, some, uh, Yiska, and I can't remember the other girl's name. And it's like, who are these people supposed to be? And they're like, well, Yiska's Sarah. And he's like, well, <laughs> what are we supposed to do with that? Okay, so Rob Yitzhak goes on to say, uh, and if her real name was Sarah, why was she called Yiska? This is a good question. Because she gazed, Sokha, with divine spirit, Ruach Kodesh. And this is the meaning of that which is written, whatever Sarah tells you, heed her voice. Hmm. In other words, because she could see with God's eyes, so to speak, what you're supposed to be doing, then the advice that she gave was like always good. Which is almost exactly what Mary said to the servants at the wedding oh, yeah. with regard to Yeshua. Mm-hmm. Whatever he says. Well, and to that point, that's that reference Yeshua quotes about himself. He pulls from Isaiah. You know, he's at this rather momentous occasion. He gets up to read the the prophet section, and he says, "Today has been filled in your midst." He says, the "Spirit has come upon me." And then what? And then he lists off things, All the things that he can do. to do. But the idea is that like the Spirit has come upon me to do these things. Now Yeshua, on top of that, I think we've talked about a lot in looking at the Gospels. There's a clear indication that he's one of those super righteous dudes. I mean, like, even even setting aside his divinity and Mashiachness and whatever else, just looking at the way that people around him were interacting with him, they got it. They didn't necessarily know all of who he was, but they knew there was something extremely special about him. There was no inconsistency between his character and his words. And then on top of that, they could tell, based on the way that God was using him, that spirit interaction that he had to be holy. That's the blind man, right? The blind man's like, there's no, there's no way this guy's a sinner. I mean, he can't do this. I mean, most, uh, with the exception of maybe uh, Shimon Kepa, the usually most people, if they tried to label Yeshua, it was a prophet, right? Right, they, right. They, He's certainly a righteous man. Because he was. And but being a prophet was synonymous with a tzaddik, right? Because right. Mm-hmm. all in in all of our national history, anyone that was a real prophet was a tzaddik. Also, exactly. like you, they, you didn't have one without the other. Right, so. right. And we see. I mean, it seems to be. We talked about the whole grabbing on to the the tzitzi, the kanaf, the wings. You know, and there's this again. This idea. How did she know to do that? Well, she didn't do that because. He was a righteous dude, and she just knew that somehow there was some, that based off of the prophecy or whatever else, there's, if I can get close enough to his righteousness, that's going to change me. He's a righteous dude. He's a righteous dude, right, exactly. Um, so one of the things I thought was kind of interesting in this, I don't know if you guys made the connection here, um, we're talking about the Holy Spirit uh, 
who is the Holy Spirit? I mean, I think we all kind of know that one, but uh, did anybody tie in the passage from Yeshua with the blasphemy and Exodus? Did you see what we're trying to get at there? So Yeshua says, you know, blasphemy, blasphemy the against Holy the Holy Spirit, Spirit is an unforgivable sin, essentially. Which has always bothered me. It's like, what is that even supposed to mean? Kind of... The, the Holy Spirit is Hashem. Right. So Exodus 27 is basically the same concept. I thought that was interesting. So if you use Hashem's name in vain, which I think um, we've had some r rabbis who kind of expanded the definition of what that might mean, definitely blaspheming Hashem in some way, right. you know, whether action or in word. Um, Hashem describes this as like, but in that, does someone have Exodus 27? Let's get that. 20 verse 7. 20 verse 7? Mm -hmm. I thought you were saying 27. Like, this is about the tabernacle. This is not what he meant. No, no. But you're jumping ahead, and I appreciate that. You know, I have it. Go ahead. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Unforgivable. That sounds like unforgivable. You know, I mean, maybe not, you know, uh, uh, boom, you're damned kind of level, but or, definitely. Or dead. <laughs> But definitely unforgivable in the sense that you have to have a consequence for that. You can't just get that washed over. And I think that's definitely what she was getting at. Yes, sir. I've always thought it was a little more like uh, you're talking about Saul, who had the Holy Spirit and then lost the Holy Spirit. Um, that once you have the Holy Spirit, it's like you do know God in a right. more much more way. intimate way. He's... And, and then for you to blaspheme the Holy Spirit after you've had that experience. That's annoying. That's, I think that's definitely a possibility. I think if, it, Excuse me. if we get into the epistles and look at the Holy Spirit, part of why I wanted to do this... talk about tasting. Right. And then right. And Hebrews, yeah. Galatians, they reference these things. Part of why it's good to do this now, because we had talked about, do we want to pull in the Gospels and, and I mean, the epistles into this study and... I didn't feel like that was the best idea because I think the mistake that Christianity makes too often and sometimes we fall into is we want to go to the epistles because they're so specific. They got so much detail and small bites and we want to use that as the plumb line for what we're talking about. But really, that's surgery. You know, we, we got to do prep work first. Got to wash those hands, get the scalpels all lined up before we're ready to get into the, the nitty gritty details. Otherwise, we're going to lose the forest for the trees, and we're going to think that one tree is the epitome of everything we're looking at. And that really, I think, is a mistake you're into in the epistles. But yes, the, the epistles are referencing some of what you're talking about. And as we get into the epistles, you know, Acts and then, and then the, the writings of Paul and, and so forth, I hope that this lesson sticks in your head, because then you can, hope, you can hopefully you'll be able to view the references of the Holy Spirit through that lens What's been said previously, right? So we believe what was written first were the opposite of the Muslims. We say whatever's older is better. So <laughs> whatever's older is the way we view the rest of it. You know, Islam says whatever came last is most important, which is scary because it's pretty violent at the end. So we say whatever is oldest is the most important. So we're trying to go to the older source first. So as we go into the latter half of the apostolic writings, you can kind of see what they're thinking of as they're writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, but yes, I think going back to this whole point, the reason why I brought those two references together is I think that if you look at the way the Holy Spirit is referenced in the apostolic writings, the idea that he is divine is pretty clear. And Judaism, as, as Mr. Ruffin mentioned, 
has no problem with that. That's default, duh. Like, of course he's divine. Who else would he be? Unfortunately, it's interesting that uh, while God says time and again that he is one, um, I think Christianity tends to want to count yeah, I know, right? divine things and comes up with three. If you end up in Revelation, it's if it's seven, it's very seven. confusing. Yeah, yeah, it's like, <laughs> what do you do with that? Seven. But uh, the, the spirits of God doesn't div- devise him, and calling him a calling the Holy Spirit a person as right. in, in a specific way is trying to fit a formula from the fourth century. Of course. Exactly. Well, and to your point, I thought this is—I think you're, you I mentioned all this. all the way to eleven, personally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is. That's, I, that's exactly right. We can go. You know, yeah. we can. We can. You know, it's like what? You know, what am I? I'm two hundred fifty-six. You know, parts. You right, know, right. or what? You know, I mean, it's like. Well, and then getting even to a bigger picture is, here. Is my thumb me? Yes, <laughs> but is my thumb is my thumb a person? Well, I guess if you want to call it. <laughs> that could be... In fact, I think if we start talking like that outside this room, people might look at you funny. The, the idea, though, is that... Um, when we're talking about God, God's infinite. So it's like, even beyond this concept... Eleven. More than eleven! Like, like he, is, he is... I mean, Judaism's idea, mystical Judaism especially, is that Hashem is everything. It's like, nothing exists without Him. You know, so this idea like that we can somehow segregate Him into pieces is ridiculous. However, the Holy Spirit is divine... In the sense that the Holy Spirit is an expression of the divine. Amen. And so when you see this, his interactions, what we're doing, what we're saying here is this shows us who God is. Not all of who God is, but part of who God is. Yes, sir, bro. No, that's good. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. Well, I was, I actually had this exact conversation at, at work. No, no. Oh. That would have been a little strange. <laughs> <laughs> what, what language were you coding in when this conversation came up? <laughs> I was at Objective-C, actually. Okay. But, there um, you go. There you go. Speaking in tongues. Inspired. Speaking in tongues. <laughs> no, because my, 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 my boss is Christian agnostic, you know. And, and he, <laughs> wow, that's a combination. Um, yeah, and um, he, he, had, he asked me stuff about Judaism in, in, in general because I, you know, I asked about all of it and so it just comes up and and we actually talked about this exact thing like the counting of uh, like the, the, the Trinity and I was like I said essentially what you just said which is in 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 my way of thinking it's not it's not no need to count right it's divisible yeah right well and, and besides One. I think it's it's a it's a theological crutch to need a divisible Trinity. They need to have, it's a, really, honestly, it's it's from a pagan pantheon is really where it comes from. The, the Trinity, good, no, 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 there's no, no. good basis. The idea that they're... That, in Judaism. That Messiah... In Judaism. Excellent the basis idea that the Holy Spirit and Messiah are God is important. We don't want to miss that. The mistake I think we make is when we try to segregate them out for some reason to it's come up with a system. just the formula that we should be it, right. critiquing. Yeah, the best best explanation for the concept of a trinity that I've ever heard is in Kabbalah. That's right. Mm. Uh, it's the whole concept of Chabad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is, so it's there. Judaism in has thought. a formula too. <laughs> it's there in Jewish thought. The problem is the way Christianity tries. First of all, Christianity. Um, Christianity doesn't has, you know, has lost the the connection to the the, the true Jewish thought behind it. Right. But but the it, but the big, the bigger issue is the way they try to describe it. Right. So if you know if you've ever seen you know the the statement of faith for whatever Christian congregation you're affiliated with, right? 
we believe, you know, God the Father, God the Son, right. God the Holy Spirit. You know, and and so that description is problematic. Yeah. You know, the way they describe well, the description is not a theological description. It's a it's a it's yeah. a formula to solve a political problem in the fourth <laughs> century. That's all it was. It was to solve a political problem and it became doctrine and theology. And and to me, which it, it, to me the the even even beyond the historical point you're making, which is a good point, at the end of the day, um, all of these formulas and constructs are are a feeble attempt exactly. to try to explain exactly. the nature of an unexplainable inexplicable God. inexplicable. So if you start with a premise that you can actually fully <laughs> comprehend it, yeah. you, you're, you're, you're already you're off the reservation. Especially if Constantine could do it. <laughs> so to me, you know, my current view is, fine, you, you're a Trinitarian. No problem. Lord bless you. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit bless you too. Throw in the Shekinah, right? I can get all the way to 11. That's exactly the way It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters to me is other than Echad. Right, exactly. Yes, sir. (laughs) Sometimes, so like to give some the benefit of the doubt when they're attempting to like break things up a little bit, I think verses like the one that we were just looking at are why people even try. Right, of course. It sounds like there's two different more than one. There is a theological reason for the formula. Mm -hmm. The problem is that it's they're not making How far are you going to go? Entirely right. that whole quad. Because this Absolutely verse is always not. bothering me too. They're just trying to explain something. Because like, if you blasphemy. say, yeah, because if you say that it just, if like whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, all that means is like there's a consequence for it. Right. Like, well, then that sounds like there wouldn't be a consequence if you blasphemed against the Son of Man, which we would disagree with. Mm. Absolutely. So that's why I, I if the, if anyone has a better explanation of this, I I same thing. Like I'm always like. Every well, that, time you try to come word, up with something, that word that's used in the Hebrew there in Exodus twenty is the word nakah. Nakah is the kind of the root, the shorish. Strong's. It'd be interesting to see how they how they translated that in the Septuagint. But Strong's translates it eleven times as unpunished, five times as innocent. Right, so think about the, the verse. negative without, right, uh, without innocence. Yeah, you know, you will not be left without uh, with guiltless. Is the guiltless other. innocence is it's the other. Innocent. Guiltless, innocent, and unpunished are the three most common ways that verb is translated, um, according to according to the King Jimmy translators. Right, Caratiso is the Septuagint, and I'm not a Greek. Person, so which I can is help you, but yeah, Catarizo. But the the point is a th Catarizo. Catarizo. To cleanse, render like pure, or purify. Uh, same word is used in Matthew twenty three twenty five, Luke eleven thirty nine. To cleanse from leprosy. Yeah, okay. the, the whole so, concept so of he will, God will not leave you. Cleanse. Well, cathartic, cleanse, right? So, or catharsis, you won't get the catharsis. That's right. right. Well, and I think, uh, yeah. So maybe that's another take on it that there's a longer-lasting effect. Maybe it's a permanent one. I think it's important to look at the context, though, too, because see what the what the state what the Pharisees are doing here. The the bad ones. I don't want to say generically because that's unfair. 
people that are that Yeshua's critiquing at this point are accusing Yeshua of using the spirit of Hasatan effectively to do these miracles. And Yeshua's saying, Whoa, 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 you wanna speak badly about me, that's that's on you. You don't know who I am, you don't like what's going on, but you start speaking badly about what are miracles that a righteous man's doing, you've got problems. Now you're now you're treading on really thin ice and you wanna be careful about that because you cross over that line and there is there is uh, hell to pay. Um, there's punishment to that. There's a consequence. There you go. And I th- and so maybe as far as what that consequence means, I don't know if I can definitively say that, but I definitely feel it's, like Stephanie Dookie. It doesn't matter. It's bad. It's not a don't do it. Don't do it. Just don't do it. That's right. Just say no. Your name no. can be easy. For the rest of your life. It's really really bad. Nobody, don't no, do nobody it. Nobody gets hurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now going back though to the whole Trinitarian concept, I think that the one of the dangers of that, and we're, we have to be careful against ourselves. I remember one time I was in a, I was I was older and I was helping out with like a middle school group. We went to a, like a mission trip camp type thing, whatever. And the pastor there, who was a more charismatic type, he actually had an interesting comment. He said he critiqued the church for treating the Holy Spirit like some sort of sidekick basically doesn't give him his due as part of the Trinity. Now, set all that aside for a second. The point, though, is what's the importance of knowing that the Holy Spirit is divine? It's because that's how we get to know God better. This is God acting. And if we act like the Holy Spirit is another actor in this divine event, then we're actually missing the point. We're seeing him as some sort of like... You know, secondary God, but little add-on deal. Yeah, 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 like he's some sort of like tack-on that somehow shows up every now and again, especially when it happens to involve you know Pentecostals. But otherwise, if it's not in, in Florida, that doesn't happen. You know, like like he's God, but it doesn't really matter about the personage of him. It is that when we see the Holy Spirit moving, we should see God. And I think that's what we miss when we segregate them. That's the what, same way we miss with Yeshua. That's what Messiah not, not pray to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but it doesn't like because there are some. Yeah, you can get into weird yeah. stuff. The point though is that like although we can baptize in His name, you know. But the point is though <laughs> that we're the idea though is that we don't want to lose sight of Hashem Echad. As soon as you lose sight of Hashem Echad, you're straying into really scary territory. Not only theologically but also in your relationship with Hashem, because you're missing seeing Him. As we've been reading about Mashiach, we're seeing Hashem. Amen. And if we somehow separate it so this is God the Son, as though someone has a different character from yeah. God the Father, we're not giving Him His due. He got, he got pretty ticked with His apostles. What do, you, what do you mean, see the Father? Right. What? I, I am the Father, Come basically, on. right? right? Yeah. You've seen me, you've seen Him. It's Brock. No, you said it. Oh, sorry, sir. Go ahead. That's a common occurrence. (laughs) (laughs) Great minds, right? Yeah. Um, But I I was just thinking, like, along those same lines, it does seem like it's it's every case of the Holy Spirit, it's always very recognizable that it's God. Like, Mm -hmm. so it might describe it as the Holy Spirit, but then the person... By whom nobody's confused. It, is that, yeah, no one ever gets True. confused, exactly and and right. the same is with Yeshua too. Like just the differentiation between the people that just kind of see him as something versus like Peter, for instance. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. that was just such a huge deal to be like, wow, no one even told you that, and he like knew the truth that like basically I'm God. Right. Um, so yeah, that's that's neat. And and I think that um, you know as you look at that whole concept, it's interesting that you know even even Yeshua is like admittedly cautious language he uses about himself like the people around him got it anyway 
They're still going, wait right. a minute. Are you saying, you are saying what I think you're saying. Um, as we look at this, uh, at, at all the different elements of the Holy Spirit, I, I hope that um, along the way, it got you. I, I personally want to hear your thoughts on John chapter 3. Because at the very end of the lesson, I threw that in there as the last point, mostly because... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, before, I mean, before you jump to the end there, we just finished reading the Gospels, and I think, did I sleep through Matthew 12, where, where he proclaims justice to the Gentiles? I mean, I, you had us look that up, and I'm like, how did we skip this? Did we skip that? Was I absent that week? <laughs> I mean, I think that's big. Yeah. He's not proclaiming well, justice to just his people, as we saw in the Gospels. He's like, I came to the lost house of Israel. I came to the sheep. You know, yep. and now. I'm pretty sure I skipped it. Did you? Well, and then furthermore, I missed you I mean, saying just, it too. That we're, I hope we're not stealing from Greg's thunder next week, but Mark has a similar reference in talking. It also quotes from with the prophets, and actually intentionally, I don't say paraphrases, but like takes a different, slightly different translation to say that Messiah will be a banner to the nations. Right. It specifically says nations. I think in the prophets' English translation, it says islands, but the the Mark right. takes it with the kind of a broader paintbrush. So, yeah, no, there's there's a lot of really cool references to those types of things. And the fact that they're, the way that they're in the Gospels is like little nuggets, you know, a little treasure, treasure hunt. Um, and before we go to John 3, just one quick thought. I, thinking about the Holy Spirit and Hashem, there was an interesting, when I was looking at, uh, first off, you look, in, look at the Holy Spirit in the Tanakh, you'll find like two references. There's almost none. What you see more than anything is Spirit of God. I mean, it's like there's really no way to be more clear about that. Spirit of Hashem, Spirit of God, there's, you know, a couple dozen of those. And uh, I, th I saw this. I thought this was intriguing. In one version, and this is just—I don't even know exactly who's doing the translation, so that's not entirely, um, you know, proof of anything. But in one version of the Talmud that I got online, uh, they actually translated Ruach Hakodesh was the Hebrew as divine presence. That was just how they translated it. That works. And it was from that uh, Makot reference that I put in the in the study there, mm -hmm. um, which I thought was—I thought that was intriguing. That like it's like Judaism just sees this as automatic, which is funny because as you're pointing out. Judaism does not have a Trinitarian view of God. They see Hashem Akkad, but they see that Hashem expresses himself in, in ways that a lot are, of different ways. Yeah, in, in ways that These look different to us, as I guess maybe the best way to say that. Yeah. Um, okay, so John chapter 3, verse 12. Uh, verses 3 through 8. Take me through this. I want to know. Is, when Yeshua says spirit, is he talking about Ruach HaKodesh? Is he talking about spiritual things? What do you think? We have to talk about what water means first. What what? What water means. First. Oh yeah, that's a so, good one. So we're we're do, we're doing the whole Nicodemus passage. Right. Okay. So he comes to him at night, and he's he just can't believe that he's a teacher of Israel and doesn't get this concept. Right. So the whole born again thing. Right. This is the conversation every Christian knows this passage probably or should. Um, and this is the, I would, I would go so far as to say this is almost the fundamental principle behind most of Protestant Christianity. Certainly Calvinism is extremely dependent on this passage right. to understand what makes us different from them. Um, so, but I, but I think that that's an interesting, there's an interesting question to be asked here. Is what's Yeshua talking about? So what did, what did you get from this as we kind of, as we went through the whole study? So who, who's the spirit and what's he doing? Besides blowing like the wind. Well, so the way I have the way I approach this, which is not to say that I'm 
Right, but the way I approach this is, you know, verse 30, truly, 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 I say to you, unless one is born again. Okay, so in, in Jewish, what does that mean, right? Right. And that, in Jewish, that phrase born again means a change of status, a, a legal change of status, or a recognized change of status. Okay. This, is, this is a mikvah type term. Yes, absolutely, right? Which, Which when you water go under the water, you're, you're one status. When you, you come, come out of the water, you're a different status. I think water here is not that, though. I think spirit is the mikvah. The water here is simply being born of the flesh. It's so so the way I've always okay. understood this is you have to, in order, in order to be, in order to, because what's the, what what's the context here? Who gets into the kingdom of God? Right. Right? You have to have been born of water, which means you have to a human be being, a human being, right? You have not to all have dogs go to heaven. Oh, dogs are not part of it, right? Not even cats. Not and especially cats. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be heaven. Dogs, you might argue that. Especially. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. Then you have to have been born of the spirit, mm-hmm. meaning that there that you're. Your heart has to have a status change, mm-hmm. right? Your, right. you know, so, uh, which I think one way that Tanakh might describe this is circumcision of the heart. Mm-hmm. There you go. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, both of those have to be true. You have to be a man or, or a, hum, a human, right? You have to be part of Adam, as it were, and you have to have had the spirit transform. Right. You, right? And if those two are, if, if those two things are true, then you can enter the kingdom of God. So, so if I could, I would argue that that's exactly correct, but completely insufficient unless for the Christian who hasn't studied Judaism, right. we explain why Nick didn't get it originally. We have to explain why he didn't understand. In the times that he was, this phrase would never have been used for him. Mm-hmm. It would only have been used... He's already a citizen. Exactly. He's it would already only been, have been used for Gentiles. Because being born so, Jewish, born Jewish, is the key yeah, in that... That was born in the spirit. That's right. It was because you're, it's citizenship. It really is. So right. you got to be a person. you got to be a, a human being on the planet. And you got to be a citizen of God's... Of God's... Economy. Economy. God's kingdom. Yeah. Right? And how do I get to be a citizen of God's kingdom? Nicodemus would go, well, I am. I am, right. And, and so I think, I agree with you all the way, but if we don't explain to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, which is what we're talking about, right? why didn't Nick get it? They'll be just as confused as Nick. Exactly. Well, and it's interesting to only, that point. Only backwards. We get, right, we get those references, though. You know, John the Baptist is talking to people, and they're going, well, why are you calling me to repentance? I'm, I'm Jewish. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm good. And he, and he says, God can make stones, stones. into sons of Abraham. Right. Yeshua has a similar reference. Yeshua says, you guys, you know, you're, you're sons of your father. And they go, what are you talking about? Our father is Abraham. And they're like, if your father was Abraham, you would treat me differently. That's right. So you have that idea that, and this is confusing. And I'm not trying to, like, solve the theological understanding of what we do with the people of Israel. No, jump the, on it, man. That, no, because <laughs> that's not really the point of this study. Um, the point that I'm trying to focus on is what's Yeshua getting at? Yeshua is getting at that exactly what you're saying: the circumcision of the heart, heart transformation, 
internal change, um, which I would argue is perhaps more be likely to hear from Jewish. Hear God. But, the, but yes, and that point, because that's exactly what Yeshua, Hashem promises to Abraham. He says, I will be their people and they will be my God. That same concept gets repeated in Moses' words and in, in talking about, and in, in Jeremiah, and talking about this prophecy that's going to be fulfilled. Um, and I've got a couple of comments to this in so, you first. So I don't mean to imply that Jews don't get it. Right. Nick didn't get it because of the, the timing of when he was, he, he, it was being said. But they surely got it. Like you said, it's throughout the Tanakh. But even in the Midrash, you've got where, you know, this guy, and I can't remember his name, is bringing his sacrifice, and the priest knows that he's not right with God. And you know, he laments the fact that he keeps bringing his sacrifice, but he's not going to get the forgiveness he needs because his heart is not right with God. He hasn't had that change. They get it. Right. It was just that Nick didn't get it that night. That night. And what's interesting here is, I mean, that, I was just about to go that direction. So Psalm 51 has this reference to um, David. Uh, David, and he starts talking about the Holy Spirit. Rashi actually thought it was really funny. So I think it's verse 11 where it says, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Rashi doesn't really comment on that one. Very little. Verse 14, though, where he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Rashi says, That's the Holy Spirit. That's it. So think about that for a second. Rashi's saying it's the relationship, it's the excitement, it's the energy that you have in the relationship with God. That's an expression of the Holy Spirit. So if you see that idea, as we were talking about earlier with Arbanel and the the concept of people saying, we would have served you better if we had your spirit in our midst, it's this idea that if there's an evidence of a change on the inside. Now, I think it's important, though, and this is why I wanted to get into this a little bit, that we make a mistake, I believe, that there is a mistaken idea that the spirit is necessary to do good deeds generically. So therefore, if you're not a born-again Christian, everything you do is sin. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Right. In fact, oddly enough, I see the Holy Spirit resting on people who are complete sinners, so go figure out that one. Balaam. Yeah, Balaam. Balaam's actually, it shows up in the, in the Talmud actually, too for that. You actually have... With Ruach HaKodesh. You have fairly strong believers in the Christian church that when you give them a book about life, like how to how to or deal with your resume or how to work on something, right? And it, they immediately want to know, is the guy a believer? Is the guy who wrote the book a believer? Uh, well, I read the back jacket of the book, but I, I really don't know what his faith in God is. Why do you ask? Well, if he's not a believer, then he can't have anything right. <laughs> right. Oh, well, there you have it. I didn't know that. I hope my plumber... Well, is a believer. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we as opposed on to the other hand, we should, right. we should be careful of our sources. Certainly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and, and sure. always always suspicious. I found someone's uh, from. But on the other hand, yeah. the notion that God doesn't speak through the jaws of a donkey. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And so to that point, I think that I think this goes kind of goes back to what we're talking about at the beginning, and the reason why I wanted to bring this up. So the Holy Spirit has tasks, has roles. So I think when we're talking about that heart transformation, obviously we're not talking about, I never did anything right, and then all of a sudden I prayed that prayer and I couldn't stop walking old ladies across the street. You know, it's not that idea. It's more the idea that all of a sudden I want to. I feel really bad when I don't. I have an odd inclination to do things I didn't feel like doing before, and for some strange reason, some of those habits and things that I used to do very easily, I no longer really want to do. So we're talking about, a, as we were talking about earlier, circumstances of the heart, there's a change in mindset. 
in emotion, in approach to life. But that doesn't mean that previously the guy wasn't able to walk the old lady across the street. Right. In fact, Judaism's perspective on this, and I think they're right, is that, and there's actually the, um, the Shabbat psalm. If we go read the Shabbat psalm again and look for this, you'll see it. The wicked receive their reward in this world for the handful of good deeds that That's they right. do. The reason why God doesn't punish the wicked immediately, boom, you're a liar and a thief. Therefore, you know, may your entire days on this planet be miserable, is because he is extracting all of their blessings now. They're getting exactly what they deserve for their good deeds in this life. Yeshua actually references this. He looks at, he t in his parable, the rich man and Lazarus, Abraham looks at the rich man and says, you were doing just fine in this present age, but it was in the world to come that now Lazarus gets his due. So this idea is that they, normal, people can do good deeds, but the Holy Spirit is, in, hopefully, and it, it will if it's there, be enabling you to do them easier, more likely, more consistently. I, I, not to take away from you know the weeks to come, but I think you're 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 exactly right, and we're going to see that several of the writers of uh, of the apostolic scriptures are going to talk about how it is a a combo play here. God has a work to do within us, and we also must work with Him as we work out our salvation. We are told to circumcise our own hearts. Right. And then we're told it is God who's <laughs> going to circumcise our hearts, so right. don't get the knife. You know? <laughs> so it's a, it's a team play, and, and I think that the theology messes up when it's weighted one way right. or the other. Right. right? And, and if we keep that in mind, it becomes a, a more beautiful, uh, I think, uh, was it Rick? Did you do the dance thing years ago? The dance with... Right. It's it's more beautiful to see it as as a partnership in us working out our salvation and dancing with Him in this world mm -hmm. to bring about His will and to make His name known. Yeah. In that we can have that place in the world to come. With him. And as we as we dig into the epistles, you know, be watching for the way the Holy Spirit plays a role even in the people that are not people of God. You'll see this come up in a couple of places where, especially if you get to the epistles section, it kind of makes you raise your eyebrow and think, wait a minute, mm. how does that work? Mm. And maybe should make you feel really scared for some of the people you know that seem to have had an experience with God and aren't walking with him anymore. Yeah. Um, and also the warning to us as well that, you know, it's, it's not really, a, it's an ongoing battle. You know, it's an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. But as we... Um, as we kind of wrap up here, any any final comments on Holy Spirit? Yes, sir. Well, just one that was very encouraging because of things like that, where you see how serious it is to misuse the Holy Spirit, I guess, or, or mis mistreat the gift that you've been given. It's just so encouraging to see the other passages where Yeshua is like, just, just ask, just pray for it, right. and, and you'll get it, you know, or, or just like how... how cool it is the way that he describes like the helper you know like bringing to mind right at that moment the the verse that you need in order to 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 know what to say or to to avoid doing something wrong so it's like there's lots of encouragement too oh, along absolutely. those lines uh just as like a knowing that that we can call upon him and ask him 
for help in certain things, and, and he is faithful to, mm-hmm. to answer. He absolutely is. And, and can you see the parallel there now? So, so Yeshua says, he talks about this idea, if you ask God for an egg, you know, it's like a fa- good father, right? You ask him for an egg, will he give you a scorpion, so on and so forth. If you ask him for the spirit, will he not give it to you? And then you see the parallel over it. Willing to give it. You go over to James, Jacob, chapter 1. It says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So if you think about the spirit as that revelation from Hashem, that, you can see that is a dovetail. That means that at least twice, and where there's two witnesses, I mean, you know, that God's word is saying, you need revelation from me, you have to ask. That's, that's the main thing you got to do. Yeah, I was just, um, I was just thinking about, um, you know, Ariel Kohanoro, who is not a Christian, he's an Orthodox Jew, he's a Kabbalist, right? But he happens to believe in Yeshua's Messiah. Um, anyway, he gets a lot of Christians and Messianic Christians that, you know, uh, when they're in Jerusalem, they want to they want to meet him, they want to talk to him, you know, whatever. And a lot of them tend tend to be of, uh, you know, oftentimes they're of the more charismatic, charismatic sort of yeah, persuasion, you know. Yeah. And so, um, you know. He, you know, this, this one uh, specific incident that I'm thinking of, this lovely, sweet Christian woman, you know, starts talking to him and she says, you know, God gave me this vision and she just starts describing this vision, right? And she's telling him this vision that God gave her because she's wanting, you know, she's wanting him to give some mystical interpretation or whatever of her, of her dream or vision. You know, and so she takes like five or ten minutes and elaborately describes this vision, and then she's like, "So, what do you think?" And he's just like, he's just, he's just looking at her like, uh, <laughs> "What do I do with that?" I mean, I, you know, and, and, and of course he responds in Jewish, not in Christian, right? So he responds and he says, "Well, that's all light, right?" And, 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 and unless, we put, <laughs> unless we put the light in a vessel, what do you do? What are you going to do with it? Yeah. You know, oh, and, his, and, and in Jewish, he's basically saying, you know. Sounds I, great. It sounds yeah, great. What are we going to do with it? You obviously believe you had some, you know, some visitation, some experience with God. I, I, I can't. Who's, who's to say you didn't? But without the vessel of Torah. That's good. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. I can't do anything with that except to say, bless God, right? Because with, you know, and, and that's the, you know, I've, I've heard people say, well, I don't need to really study the Bible because I've got the Spirit, right, right. and the Spirit will lead me in all truth. Right, right. <laughs> He'll tell me what to say. You have a Spirit, I agree. Yeah, it's right? not going to But, so, and, and, this is, and this is where... Um, and this is a perspective that, that I've learned from my interaction with Ariel because he, he comes from a totally different perspective, is um, there's, there's that. It's kind of like, in, I think, in, 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 our, in our culture, or we would use the expression, so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good, right? <laughs> and so hmm. from, from his perspective, a lot of Christianity... Is so is hyper hyper spiritual, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It's all light. It's all light. The light of God. But 
you know, you can't hold light in your hand. You can't, how do you, you know, how do you, what do you do with the light? The light has to be contained in the vessel of Torah. Now we can work with the light. Amen. You know? That's cool. And it's an interesting perspective, you know, for, uh, so anyway, it just, the conversation made me think yeah. of that. Well, so. and I think, I think that's one of the things that I've run into too, especially talking about certain charismatic groups. And the danger even maybe for ourselves is this idea of not being led by the Spirit uh, becomes our own Torah, you know? I feel like God's telling me to do this. Right. Now, today, it's wrong for me to smoke. Tomorrow, it might not be. You know, it just depends on what the Spirit leads. And it's like, I, as we were saying earlier, the Spirit and the Torah are one. They're never going to contradict. Those are always sure. going to line up. And that ultimately is our, our plumb line <coughs> to figure out, is this from God? Is not from God? That's Deuteronomy 13, right? Even when the prophet does the miracles. If he's saying something contrary to what God already said, and, no good. And there's a reason why when you look th- when you look through Jewish history all the way up even to modern day, the Zadikim, meaning the Zadikim that um, that are identified by what we would call signs and wonders and whatever, also often are the most strict. Mm. In, in their, their heart. Uh, uh, in their observance of Torah in Jewish law. Right. Um, and, and to a lot of Christians and Messianics, that almost is almost kind of like, how could that be, right? <laughs> because one is legalism and one is, you know. One is life. But, but oftentimes their devotion is borne out in a strict observance to the Torah um, and, and 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 yet they have this incredible connection to right. Hashem. Right. So something to think about. Yeah. Cool. And we all prophesy, as Moses said. Sir, if you'd read that bottom one for us. Oh yes. We thank you, O Adonai, our God, that you have established our portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you have not established our portion with idlers. For we arise early, and they arise early. We arise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. We toil, and they toil. We toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. We run, and they run. We run to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction, as it is written, And you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days, but as for us, we will trust in you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joshua. Thank, Thank you, you all. Very much.